So without further ado, I'll jump in. The first one that we've got is um, how do you categorize stakeholders, influencers, et cetera, on the customer side? Um, this is kind of funny. I had a LinkedIn post about this today. So um, I don't know, you know, not taking credit for the inspiration of whoever wrote that, but um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because we're going through an exercise here at Higher Logic. Uh, we're on the director of customer experience where we're trying to go back through and look at our current customers. You know, how are you essentially categorizing them? Who's an influencer? Uh, who's an executive stakeholder? Who, who might be an admin? Um, how are you getting down to some of that detail? So um, I'd love to see maybe how other people are thinking about that. How do you track that? Um, like, where do you keep track of it? Um, and how do you think about that for your accounts? Um, I think that that helps to change a lot of the, the strategy that you might have. So um, if there's no hand raisers, I might go old school and start calling on people uh, who are on their video. So um, unless you want me to call on you indirectly or directly. Um, Corinne, I've seen, I know you and I don't, I don't feel as bashful maybe yeah. calling on you uh, or, or maybe as rude, but um, how are you all thinking about this uh, where you work right now and, and how do you approach your accounts when you're starting to think about just stakeholders and, you know, getting introduced to more and more people? Like how do you just kind of keep track of that and start to categorize some of those folks that you're meeting? Mm. Yeah. Hey Jeff. Hi everyone. Happy new year. Hope you guys had a healthy, happy and safe uh, holiday. It's a good question. I was just reflecting on it myself. Um, thinking about the fact that there's probably a lot more that I could do to be a bit more strategic about how um, I think about categorizing different types of stakeholders. Um, typically what I do is as part of quarterly account meetings with the account executive on my accounts, we'll talk about the relationships that the account executive has uh, and the degree to which he or she feels they are influencers, they are detractors, they are advocates, um, and then we'll work on building out a list um, really simply in something like Excel, um, or we'll add notes to the Salesforce record um, to indicate the type of stakeholder they are. And then we'll work on building out effectively a map together um, and then uh, determining what sorts of outreach makes the most sense, either from the account executive or myself to build those relationships. Um, it's a simple spreadsheet. Uh, with a couple of columns around you know the stakeholder relationship the last time that we interacted or engaged with that person um, what that person cares about whether or not they recognize the value of the, the value of slack um, which is where i work um, and then any sorts of barriers or challenges that we might be facing um, when we interact with that person and then we'll add a column for who will be doing the outreach um, so it, it's really simple i think it's tended to work well um, and really the meat of it comes down to the discussion that, I'll, that I have with the account executive around some of those relationships. And then I'll, I'll post that in a Slack channel for visibility across the account team. But yeah, I definitely love to hear what you guys are all thinking and doing. And if there's any sort of way to, that you're thinking about documenting um, or building in a process around capturing the different stakeholders on an account. I know that Salesforce can be a bit unwieldy at times. Um, so that's why I've tended to revert to something like Excel. Um, but yeah, that's how I'm thinking about it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, letting me call on you to get the ball rolling and starting because I think there's uh, a number of cool things that you mentioned in there that makes sense to me and that I've, I've thought about before too. Just um, kind of, you know, are they a promoter detractor? I actually put in um, into the chat window. I just came across a framework from uh, James Sabinas. Hopefully I pronounced that right, but he's at, uh, he's a Harvard business professor. And so he thinks about um, looking at relationships as either being deference, which is kind of employee A will most definitely do what employee B does, influence, you know, they're likely to follow or antagonist. And so I think it's similar to what you were mentioning earlier, you know, who's who's kind of our most influential stakeholder? Um, and then how does everyone kind of situate around those those people or that person? Um, I think that comes into play a lot. I also like the point you mentioned too, just about like what that person's interested in um, and try and make sure you can capture some of those. And the last point I'll call out that um, I referenced this morning too is, 
the ability of, of outlining your your interests and then their interests as in terms of like what's actually the ideal outcome of like the relationship that we're into. Um, you know, I think getting down into uh, those types of things always help. Like I used to have a boss that used to tell me, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, the person, if you get down to a personal level is like, hey, I want, you know, this type of job or I want to get a promotion or I want some sort of accolade internally. And that helps to start to get the ball rolling too. So being able to capture that. Um, and we we are in that same struggle you are. So I'm curious if there's people who, if anybody wants to throw out tools that they've used before, but uh, our Salesforce records are uh, quite lengthy and quite big. So if anybody else has ideas besides Excel or anything else that you're using, I uh, would love to throw that out. Um, Josh, looks like you've got your hand raised. Yeah, I know. Corinne had talked about Salesforce can be unwieldy uh, as well as salespeople tend to not use it the way that they should always. So that's that's been a challenge for us, but we've what we've decided to do is go back into the account records, the opportunity records, define who the stakeholders are, what their level of stakeholderness is, and, uh, and, and capture it there. Uh, and then use Salesforce to, to capture notes, whether it's an ongoing task or an ongoing note that gives information about that individual. Um, but we also have, um, in, in combination working with our managed services team, they have their own client notes. So we try, a lot of times try to share information about different contacts, things that they, um, you know, prefer in a business setting all the way to personal items about them. So we can capture it and start fostering that, uh, that better relationship with them. So those, those are some of the things that we do. I like it. Um, I also like that you, you said stakeholderness, you know, I like, I'm going to start using that, um, the uh, yeah the, the last part you mentioned I think is um, something that we've tried to, to really think a lot about so we we essentially uh, help our customers create communities and so thinking about some of those kind of personal wins that they might get like the first time they launch their community or a one year anniversary or the first time they get an organic comment or something like little things that hopefully we could track over time and just make a bigger deal um, so I like the idea of too of tracking what are some of those milestones whether it's you know personal or professional that we can then just kind of make a big deal about because I think that starts to show how you can uh, you know. You're starting to build that relationship. You're starting to get kind of into the next layer. So um, I like that. Uh, Bertel, looks like you have your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Yes, just wanted to jump on two comments about related to CRM and then how to identify champion and align what's top of mind for them with vendors. One of the challenges I've been facing related to CRM, especially when you work for a large organization, is the more information you put about a champion or a client or user, the more information another department might leverage to go after this specific individual to sell other things that he or she might not need. And that refrains many professional to from adding too much information because if you have if you're working with the event team and they have access to your content they're going to reach out to your client and your member with things they might don't need to buy so that i think this is um, the first challenge i've been facing related to the crm i'm i'm going back to the old um, to an excel spreadsheet where i'm gathering all the information this is exclusively for a white glove approach we um we're building relationship with champion and i have this uh, framework on an excel spreadsheet that goes beyond what each everyone sells um, purchase and how they are leveraging our services but it's really the individual what's top of mind for the individual and more specifically how it relates to the corporate objective uh, how it relates to the ceo vision of his or her company going public hitting the 300 million um 300 million revenue mark in the next three to four years and measure the impact and this is how i've been focusing on that uh most recently and rather a bit of success awesome thanks bro yeah it sounds like um similar to corinne you know coming up with kind of a, a personalized approach you know how are you capturing that for a lot of your key customers um, and key contacts the um 
you know, I think that's that's where the the challenge comes, though, of how to track that across you know multiple accounts. Uh, how to make sure that that you know your to do list isn't getting lost in the shuffle as well, which is um, you know the hope of what Salesforce can do. But at the same time, I know that that's a challenge for us right now too. Uh, Diana mentioned Catalyst, which is a, a customer success platform that we've seen out there. Uh, Chart Loop, Marcus just mentioned, and uh, I think Marcus had another one earlier. Said Quip, which is a, a Salesforce product as well. So um, potentially some others out there that you all might be able to to dive into more. But we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and kick over to the next question uh, in our list, which is uh, work-life balance. What are you doing to prioritize your mental health while working remotely? This seems very, uh, very timely, starting off the new year, thinking about, uh, you know, what can you start? What can you stop? What can you, can you continue? And so maybe from the personal perspective, anybody have any, anything that they want to throw out there uh, about how they protect their mental health um, and what they like to do? I'll, I'll kick things off uh, to get the ball rolling, but... Uh, I guess two things or maybe three things that I've tried to do to kind of keep my mental health in working from home. I've actually done this now for about five years. I've worked from home almost five or six years. So um, a couple of things I try to do is eat lunch uh, downstairs in my kitchen, not at my desk. So just get me up and moving around. Um, that helps me to stay away from my computer just from basically from eight to five all the way through. So uh, getting up and just going to eat lunch down in a new place at my kitchen table seems to work for me. Uh, I try and take my dogs. I've got two, two dogs uh, who typically are in my office at all times. And so um, I'll try and take them on walks at least twice a day. So once in the morning, once in the afternoon, if I can, uh, I'll even, you know, block off a half an hour in my calendar to go do that. Hopefully listen to a podcast, get outside, do something else um, for that half hour. So that, that's been something to help me. Uh, and the third thing, which I think has maybe been the hardest is uh, once I shut my computer, I don't come back to it. Uh, so, um, you know, I, might shut my computer at 8 p.m. and not come back to it. I might shut it at 6 p.m. But I've kind of made the notion like once I close my computer, I'm not going to open it back up for the for the rest of the day. Um, and so again, I get into some trouble because I'll keep my computer open, you know, while I'm eating dinner with my wife, or you know, I'll, I'll look for stuff afterwards. But uh, those are three things that I've tried to do, um, at least just to help me. So uh, Nathan, looks like you got your hand raised. Yeah, uh, just to go on what you just said, Jeff, I think one of the things I started working remotely before the pandemic, uh, so I was fortunate enough to. Uh, get an apartment in a place that actually had an office, but I know that many of my coworkers don't have office space. So they're working at kitchen counters. And so like, if that's you uh, setting up a ritual for yourself at the end of the day is really important and decoupling as much as possible uh, to your mobile device uh, through messages. Right. So like kind of saving that space for yourself so that you're not, you don't, you're not getting distracted, right? We've got Instagram, we got Facebook, we got all these things popping up all the time. Don't make work. One of those things that's happening on your mobile device um, has been something that I've seen helping my team out quite a bit. It helps me out a lot as well to just say, there's a ritual, you know, the beginning of the day, I always get my cup of root beer, right? Um, and kind of at the end of the day, I always close my computer, I unplug it, you know, undock it, and I set it aside. Like, I, that's kind of like my ritual to tell me, like, it's done. Even though I have an office, I'm still doing that ritual because if I do have to work from the kitchen, hey, I can still do that ritual. And I kind of still am in the pattern of going, that's it. I'm cut off. I'm done now for the day. Uh, and the rest of the problems, I'll fix them tomorrow, right? Uh, they're prop tomorrow's problems. Awesome. Did I hear root beer in there? Are you drinking yes. root beer in the mornings? I, I do. <laughs> no, like no coffee no coffee for this guy just rope your <laughs> awesome thanks nathan uh connor get your hand raised what are some of your thoughts here yeah so some of my thoughts are probably going to overlap with both jeff and nathan but one thing that i've kind of put a focus on during the pandemic and my mental health one thing that i've noticed has helped is exercise um especially in, in getting out and, and going for a run because it, it kind of forces me one obviously to be away from my computer and technology um, and it allows me to just kind of work through whatever's going on uh, in my head, uh, as well as just release excess energy. Um, and something else I've done to focus on mental health is trying, I've been putting more of a focus on putting my devices down. So packing up my computer and putting it away in my backpack at the end of the day, 
um, kind of like Nathan said, to signal that the day is done, but also to try to be off my phone less uh, or be on my phone less, excuse me. So whether that's reading like a physical hard copy of a book or, uh, you know, getting an actual print newspaper, just so I can keep my head, like, I know what's going on, but it's not, uh, I'm not constantly in my phone buried in current events. So those are just a couple things I've tried to be cognizant of and used to help with my, you know, keep my mental health. I love it. I love the uh, I love the shout out for the uh, you know the traditional old old newspaper the you know, hard copy. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan as well, uh, so I appreciate those. And I like the you know the point that you mentioned and Nathan mentioned it too. Just you know packing up is a big thing just to try and make sure you can kind of close it away um, and jump off of it. So awesome, uh, Jody. What are some of your thoughts here? Um, so I know my answer is going to be the least popular, um, but I think that trying to spend time on finding a work life balance is often overrated. Um, I think everybody uh, has. Um, has to figure out what that means for them, right? For me, my goal right now is to work my ass off. Um, and if and I hope that that doesn't mean that I have to compromise um, not getting to the gym at a certain time. Uh, so for me, I like to go super early in the morning, um, like at 5.30 or 6 a.m., because if it gets much past that, it's just not gonna happen. Um, but I like to prioritize my work life with my work life. Um, and that's just like the space that I'm in right now. Yeah, I don't think that's an unpopular answer at all. Um, and I think it's, you know, uh, to your point, right? As long as you understand how it fits in right now um, and the time period that we're in, um, all for it. So uh, awesome. Uh, Renata, looks like you've got your hand raised and then we'll uh, hopefully pop over to the next question. Hey, can you hear me? We got you. Okay, um, I'll just make two quick points. The first is that I like to schedule something after my work day is over so that I can't work late. I've got to go to this gym appointment. Um, and the second thing is I set expectations with my boss and say, hey, I'm logging off, you know, today, tomorrow, and the next day at promptly at five or right at 530. And that way, if um, she needs anything from me, she can let me know earlier in the day, I can fit it in, slot it into my schedule, make sure that I get stuff done at the time that I have set aside for myself. Um, and that way I don't get messages at 6 p.m. Like, hey, can you do this for me? It's like, well, no, because I told you I couldn't. Yeah, I like, I mean, setting expectations is a big one. Um, I think there was somebody else that mentioned similar to uh you had mentioned obviously trying to schedule something after work, but I know uh, somebody has mentioned calendar blocking. I think it's something that they wanted to start doing in 2021. Just um, seems like uh, if you looked at my calendar for, I don't know, the, the better part of last year, I was in like back-to-back -back meetings and never really felt like I could go do something for work. So uh, I've, I've now gotten in the habit uh, and I forget who had mentioned it in there, but um, I go two weeks ahead and I start looking at my calendar and I start declining meetings that I don't think I need to be a part of. I start to block off certain parts of my day just to make sure I, that people can't schedule. So I'm kind of doing that every every week, two weeks ahead, if that makes sense. Um, so that's a really good one. Corinne just mentioned clockwise, which I've never heard of and might have to go explore right now um, if it helps, you know, block off some times. Uh, I also use Calendly a lot uh, to help do that too. So, I, I, you know, depending on what type of meeting it is, I can set certain parameters of when those meetings can happen. So that just helps to uh, keep my calendar updated as well. So awesome. Tons of good nuggets there. Good shout outs. Uh, so I appreciate everyone sharing. Uh, Nathan, looks like you've got a question in here. That we'll jump to next. Does anyone track save churn for customer success or leadership visibility uh, when the ownership has changed? So if I'm going to dive into, will you, do you mind maybe giving us a little bit more context there, Nathan, and then um, we'll maybe get some ideas out there? Yeah. So this is uh, SaaS specifically as uh, the is the program that I'm working with. So subscription based uh, um, subscription based uh, products is what is what we're selling. So we've seen in 2020, uh, thanks to COVID. Uh, ownership change is, is an increasing thing that we're seeing in the industry right now. So I'm just wondering if anyone else out there is 
like not just tracking as a save when the new owner takes over and you're able to kind of sell them on keeping the products that they or the subscriptions they already had. Um, are you guys delineating that for leadership or for other teams? Or is it something where you're just like a save is a save? Uh, it just helps our churn numbers and that's that's all we're tracking. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think that's an interesting distinction. Uh, I haven't really thought about that before, you know, as um, kind of a new stakeholder coming in. I think is the scenario you're talking about, right? New stakeholder coming in and potentially going to get rid of our tool um, and making sure that we could kind of reiterate the value, keep the product in um, and kind of count that as like a, you know, some sort of thing that we're just keeping track of revenue wise. Uh, curious if anybody else is, I, I, we do not track that right now um, separately. I know we just went through, um, we just went through, you can hear my dogs in the background. Uh, we just went through an exercise of just reclassifying our churns. So we had a ton of um, just different, buckets that we wanted to make sure and just get straight and kind of, you know, go back and reclassify our churn from 2020 and 2019. So that's something we did, but um, kind of capturing that separately was not something. Um, so I'm curious if anybody else wants to raise their hand and talk about how they uh, report on or capture churn or saves right now uh, within their company. And if it's something that, you know, has become pretty valuable. Hey, Anastasia, looks like you got your hand raised. Uh, Nathan, uh, follow-up question. How many of these owners that you're tracking with a change? Is it a high volume? Is it a low volume? Uh, good question. Uh, I want to clarify your question, though. Uh, when you're asking how many, uh, are you are you asking uh, in my book of business, or are you asking like... Right, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I imagine not all your book of business is changing ownership. Hopefully not. That doesn't change. Um, no, uh, it's a handful right now, but it's a handful from basically zero in 2019. So it went from like almost never happened to it's happening more and more now. And some of that has to do with the industry changing too. Um, we work in the dental industry, uh, dental support organizations, organizations that own multiple practices. That's more of a, a trend that we're seeing. So they're buying up small mom and pop shops and putting them kind of into their organizational structure. So that's another change that's been increasing over 2019 to 2020. And then COVID's only exacerbated this as small mom and pop shops are going out of business or can't stay afloat. And so then they're looking to sell their practice to basically come underneath a bigger umbrella. So it's still a small handful, but we don't have any indication that that's going to stop happening. <laughs> like it's not going to be like, oh, that was just a 2020 fluke. 2021, we're looking at probably the same trend. So I think if uh, it's a small book of volume right now, then the best way is to really reach out to the new ownership directly and just have that introduction call and explain why Revenue Bell is so awesome for them and kind of establish, sort of reestablish that relationship, kind of like if somebody left in the company and you have to start from scratch to talk to somebody new and um, kind of like what Jeff was saying, uh, change management, you know, it's, it, change is hard for everybody and a lot of companies don't even know that there are tools in place or how mom and pop shops works and uh, in the grand scheme it could also help you because you could end up with larger enterprise accounts. Uh, the looks like you have your hands raised. Oh, yeah. your thoughts there. Is that me Jeff? Oh yeah go for it. Sorry I didn't hear. Um, yeah I think yeah I think that's a good point um, Anastasia and something that we've been doing as well, to your point, Jeff, is thinking about recategorizing um, risk and the category types that would constitute um, creating what we call a red account. So if there's a renewal that's within six months, um, then 
I as a CSM would review that account. And then if there has been, let's say a change in ownership or a change in sponsor in various other risk categories, and I would create what's called a red account at Salesforce, right? And then that would be reviewed on a weekly basis by our senior leadership team. So I'd simply categorize that as change in, in ownership. Um, and so that's how we think about um, our sort of red account process and any sorts of risks that we want to track leading up to the renewal. And those tend to be uh, scrutinized within six months of the renewal. Um, something that I'm experimenting with now, now that it's the beginning of the year uh, with my accounts is to create an annual planning survey and then send that to my current customer contacts. And one of those questions is, are, do you plan to be or continue to be the current owner of this product in the year ahead? And if not, who should I be reaching out to? So if you can't get Mindshare, if you're not able to get a call, then something like a survey might be a great idea to at least be able to capture that information and then follow up separately um, you know, with, with that person who you've been referred. Um, yeah, something to think about. Awesome, I appreciate, I like that uh, example too. We, we've messed around with um, potentially doing surveys uh, as you know, potential new uh, change, change of stakeholders comes in or even just before the renewal um, at certain intervals just to try and get uh, the, the risk category right, and then be able to track against that um, in the future. So um, similar to what Corinne mentioned too. Uh, Bertel, what's, what are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, it, it's actually one of my favorite exercises because often what you find out is when the leadership change or the stakeholder change, the renewal takes place two to three months later. Uh, somehow this is how it works. And I, I usually do this, what I like to call SKO 2.0 with bagel. And this is exclusively for enterprise white glove. I go to, uh, I physically go before COVID to their office with bagel and schedule this SKO 2.0. And the three question I love to share is just to review how they are measuring our success, the partnership of our success, what are the expectations from us and why they originally signed with us. And moving from one seat holder, from one leader to another, you realize that things are slightly changed and you might have missed the boat. And this is a great opportunity to remind them that even if they say, we're gonna pull the plug, we're not gonna create, a, um, we're not gonna go work with you next year because we don't see the value. It's an opportunity to say, hey, you have another three months that are already being paid for. Let me, let's work together over the next three months. I will not ask this, uh, the, the question until the, your license expires, but let's show, let's present, let's add up the features aligned with what's really top of mind for you. And then you create an engagement plan, taking you all the way to the expression of this license. And I will say in my case, two out of three, I was able to renew them at least for another 12 months. Coming off mute. Um, uh, I like the, the point you mentioned too. It always happens right before, three, you know, three months. It always seems to happen right, you know, three months before the renewal. Uh, I agree with that too. Uh, you tend to find that uh, that happens, but um, the that also goes back, Brittle, to a point you I think you made earlier when you were talking about how you look at some of the relationship mapping that you do um, and how you just try and capture some of that information. I think it becomes really valuable in those types of situations when you do have stakeholder changes because. Um, I think two of the categories that you mentioned and called out was, you know, how does this person's kind of in interests or what, what they're doing on a day to day basis actually impact some of the overall goals or some of the CEO level goals. And so hopefully that also aligns to kind of that new stakeholder coming in. You've already got maybe um, at least somewhat of a head start on what you think they're going to care about um, and being able to, to play that up. Um, and Julia, I think I saw you come off of mute um, if you wanted to jump in with something um, as well. Yeah, um, I was going to ask him, like, how do I raise my hand? I don't know how to raise my hand. So anyway, um, I like the idea, though, Nathan, like, I think you bring up a good point that if it's an important thing, 
at least acknowledging people who have successfully done it because it is above and beyond and it is way more difficult to do that. And I think if you just like let it slide and don't acknowledge it, people won't work hard for it because it's a lot more work, right? So why would I? Um, and I don't come at this from a CSM perspective, I come at it from a sales perspective, but it, it's hard. One of the things that we've also focused on this year is, especially with COVID and you know everything being so crazy, is how even if it's um, maybe someone new comes in as a stakeholder and it's a product they're familiar with, the team is not. So there is an enormous value to like letting this transition happen. Why are you going to upset the entire apple cart? Like, let's evolve. Let's figure out your new business challenges. Let's talk about how we can address that without shaking things up even more than they already are. And that's, you know, I think it's very valid too. And something that leadership doesn't always think about. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm glad we got to you, uh, Julie, uh, even if you couldn't find the raise hand button, I thought that was, that was awesome. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you jumping in. Um, Perfect. Well, I know we've got about four minutes left uh, and we always like to be mindful of time and end these things um, right on time. So um, appreciate everyone hopping on today and uh, ran through a couple of awesome things. So, you know, how are we talking about stakeholders, thinking about um, pulling them together and categorizing them? Uh, you know, what are you doing these days for kind of personal and personal wellness um, throughout this kind of time? And then, you know, how are you looking at categorizing churn, thinking about kind of risk when, when new stakeholders are coming in? So, um, fun topics to dive into excited to uh, jump into 2021 appreciate you all joining here for the first first week um i don't know we're certainly not gonna have 52 of these but we'll have somewhere upward, upwards of uh maybe 40 or 50 over the year so um i think i've wrangled jeremy if he's on today into doing a session uh and being the facilitator i think i've got diana who also hopped off so if you're interested in kind of leading and facilitating promise it's not as scary as it sounds uh Bertle's done this a lot for us as well so um you know just shoot me an email would love to to get more people involved and uh, I'd love to be a participant um and, and not lead it so um appreciate everyone and we'll look forward to uh, seeing you all next week uh, or on Thursday we do have leadership office hours um if you all want to join that as well hey guys thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the gain grow retain podcast if you liked what you heard please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.